0: Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to our first Introfish podcast of 2024. I'm editor Drew Cherry, joined today by executive editor John Fiorillo. What a year 2023 was! 2024 looks to be just as, if not more, turbulent. We have time to take a look at some of the top stories of 2023. And what we might expect for uh, the coming year on those topics. So, John and I just got through looking at uh, our roundup of the year, and it was difficult to narrow down exactly which ones had the most impact. But we think we gave a we, we think we have a pretty good lineup here of ideas. So, John, let's start off talking about an issue that affects the entire value chain. And that's the decline in consumption. And that's the struggle of seafood at retail. You covered this a lot last year. Talk to us about what 2023 showed with retail numbers uh, and and what might be behind those.
1: Yeah, uh, well, yeah, the retail, the lack of demand at retail is unprecedented. I mean, we have never seen anything like this in the modern era of the seafood industry. And by that, I mean probably the last 20 to 30 years. Now, it's important to note that this slack demand is not just in the U.S. or uh, the U.K. It is literally global, uh, which really astounds me because it is like the entire world stopped eating seafood in 2023 or reduced in such a significant way their consumption it's in norway it's throughout the european union uh certainly in north america uh parts of south america so when you have something that global i mean if you Pardon the word. It's a pandemic of low demand. Um, and when you have something that global, um, there's there's no way it can't upset the supply chain all the way back to the people who catch or uh, farm the fish. So um, it, it was it was really something to watch the retail numbers come out. We have really good retail data from the United States and and the EU uh, and UK. Um, it was month to month. You would just see the value would be increasing because of inflation and the higher prices, but the volumes would just steadily, steadily drop. Salmon was probably the one outlier that... Uh, tend to maintain itself it lost some ground later in the year but um it tended to buck the trend but almost across every other species it was just um it was just astounding and like i said unprecedented so you know the question naturally on everybody's mind is 2024 and we can talk about that um if you want now or whenever
0: all right well let let's do that um the coming year uh the united states at least dodged it seems a bullet on inflation not uh the rest of the world not so much but of course mixed um you know ironically uh seafood price inflation uh in some of these markets is has not been as high as overall food inflation um now that's that's kind of a a plus and a minus right it's um, while that's a positive, uh, one would think, to the pocketbooks, it, there's a perception that seafood is a, a premium price uh, protein, and it is, but, um, but I think that is probably going to carry through. Uh, we have seen a lot of trading down to different, uh, different formats in the UK, for example. The one category that did well uh, in 2023 was uh, fish fingers or fish sticks. Um, by quite a bit compared to everything else sliding, so all right, let's start looking at twenty twenty four John and where are you hearing from sources that things might be moving
1: well, there are some some good signs, and then there are some less than good signs uh let me start with the probably the most concerning and you just touched on it, is the trading down aspect. Inflation is easing, and uh, new numbers just out today in the U.S. show it easing even more, which is great. Um, But what consumers have learned to do over the last year in particular um, is trade down to, and when it comes to protein, obviously, trade down to cheaper proteins. In this case, chicken has become ridiculously cheaper, and pork has been cheaper almost throughout the year so those two categories have benefited beef prices are still high but beef kind of lives in a territory all its own and and um even when prices are high it can demand you know demand tends to be pretty steady so on the overall battle in the protein department of grocery stores uh in particular um it's it's it. 2024 doesn't look immediately promising. Now, um, what some good signs we are seeing? We're seeing uh, shrimp imports to the U.S. Uh, I think over the last four months or maybe a little bit longer have been increasing after a period of stagnation and decrease. Why are they increasing? Well, price, producer prices are very low right now. Um, So buyers in the U S and elsewhere are restocking um, their, their inventories with, and taking advantage of these lower prices. That's important because retailers, just like a lot of the suppliers have been carrying huge overhead for much of 2023 and overhead that didn't move. So, you know the the more we can get out from under that burden of heavy expensive um overhead uh in in the ter- in the way in the terms of inventory uh the better it'll be and that looks like that's beginning for shrimp which is uh, a really good sign because shrimp is a such a big driver in in much of uh the u.s retail sector so the other sign that It's mixed right now, but we really need a rebound in the food service sector. Um, Everybody knows seafood performs its best in the high-end portion of the seafood sector, the white tablecloths and uh, casual dining to some degree. Um, But that sector has not recovered to the degree it needs to since COVID. It's... It's got all sorts of issues, but, you know, they include inflation, labor, etc. The uh, The sectors that are doing better are on the lower end. They're the fast food. McDonald's is crushing it. Um, fast food and fast casual places. And, um, you know, that's, we don't seafood doesn't live there very well necessarily. Um, our, our neighborhood is really that higher end, uh, restaurant. So, you know, we're watching carefully to see what happens here in the next few months to see if things begin to rebound a little bit better. But, um, right now the signs point to, um, kind of a, you know, a tough time for the higher end, uh, side of food service
0: you mentioned salmon and you know for for years it's been and continues to be the teflon fish i mean when you look at the the growth in uh the, the inflation in prices for salmon you would expect a much uh a much higher drop off and much more uh resistance from consumers but um, that hasn't really happened, and I think it's just another uh, another example of how seafood, as we've talked about for a long time, just lives out – or salmon, rather, sorry – lives outside of other parts of the seafood value chain.
1: Yeah, I mean, here's a quick personal story from the other night. My brother-in-law called me and said, hey – Uh, I just had my yearly physical and he said, ah, you know, news wasn't great. I got to change my diet. And, uh, I was, you know, the doctor said, you really got to cut the meats out and the high fats and, you know, bring more seafood into your diet. I said, oh, that's great. He goes, yeah, but I don't know what seafood to really get. You know, he goes, and then he stops himself. He goes, well, I know salmon. I mean, that's, that's, that's great. I, I, you know, salmon, I love, I'll always get salmon, but what are the other ones? And I just kind of, I just kind of chuckled and I'm like, that's to your point right there. It is, it is, it is hit the Holy grail, perhaps of retail in the sense and food service to the same degree, in the sense that when you go grocery shopping once a week or how, whatever frequency, and you do your big kind of grocery shopping, you, you invariably grab some ground beef and some chicken and those just come into your basket because they are staples, right? I think salmon at that level for a lot of people and a lot more are, uh, headed in that direction. So, um, yeah, I think I I I don't see any slowdown for demand in in salmon and you know depending on where prices come and go it it could even accelerate.
0: I and I think it's it's roundly uh, accepted that the US market is going to be the growth area for it. You know, we we don't hear the same um excitement about uh the Chinese market or Southeast Asia <laughs> obviously not about Russia, um, than we used to, you know, um, a decade uh, ago. Now there's a realization that the U.S. market still has massive room for growth. You are seeing salmon in far more locations, far more retail uh, retailers are carrying it, um, and far more restaurants that you wouldn't expect. And the producers understand that as well. Um, Chile certainly isn't going to be backing off of uh, the United States anytime soon, nor will Canada because it's right here uh, on their doorstep. Um, and then Norway, um, Norway is viewing, uh, although it has the European market uh, under its thumb, it is, it is viewing the U.S. as the big growth area. So one, uh, one quick uh, example of that or, or one quick sign of that, um, the Norwegian Seafood Council, when it released its marketing plan for 2024, the U.S. market now makes up um, 10% of the uh, total overall budget. You know, that, that's a budget of uh, nearly $50 million uh, across 28 uh, countries. Um, so that is, um, that's a big chunk of change and that's being done, you know, on behalf of the industry, not by the individual brands themselves. So that's, you know, that's taking a, uh, setting aside movies, efforts, the Chilean producers efforts to create brands, of course, cook, uh, um, the, uh, Faroe Islands companies, you know, there is huge focus here and regardless what happens with the economy in the U S and the, in the coming year, you're you're going to see a big uh, scramble, big growth, continue big fight for the U.S. market for salmon. Um, so, John, let's uh, stay on salmon, but let's move up to the great state of Alaska and talk about what was probably the most consequential, the most chaotic uh, sea wild salmon season in Alaska in several decades um kicked off with um with uh high inventories trouble moving last year's uh or sorry 2022's catch through the market um and then as time went on through the first half of the year we got more and more signals that this season was going to be dismal and that the prices paid to fishermen were going to be very, very low. So talk us through how that all uh, went and where things are are going to be going moving into into 2024.
1: Yeah, to, to set the table for this, you have to go back to 2022 in Alaska and Bristol Bay where they had 60 million fish catch uh, a record. I mean, an astounding record in the sense it was so far past anything they had done before okay a lot of fish uh what happened to those fish well they got processed quickly um quality suffered uh for a big part of that pack um so they went into cold storage like they normally do and they were expected to go through the Normal distribution channels and you know uh, draw down the cold cold storage and all would be okay even though it was a big catch, okay? That didn't happen. Now all the processors are burdened with this massive in- inventory backlog that they can't get rid of and then inflation hits so now they really can't get rid of it because the buyers are like ah no you know there's no nobody's buying seafood and to top it all off so much of what they put up was poor quality you know they grade them one two three um so much was lower twos and threes which you know most buyers don't They're not really that interested in. They're certainly not interested in paying um, inflated prices for it. So strapped with this uh, burden, which it's important to point out, has not been lifted completely yet. There is still heavy inventory on a lot of these Alaska processors that the banks are not happy with. Um, the banks have forced them to change some terms for loans that they rely on each year for, to get their seasons, get their plants ready and get everything ready for their season. So um, it was not good on the processor side. And obviously, they had to um, try and get uh, their finances corrected. Their choice was to take that out of the fishermen. Uh, fishermen's pockets, so to speak. So prices for fishermen, uh, which were $1.15 dollar fifteen a pound, roughly in 2022, have had fallen to fifty cents a pound last year. Uh, this past summer, obviously, fishermen do not take kindly to uh, a haircut of that magnitude, um, and you know there were. There were lots of problems, obviously it culminated in kind of a uh, um, a protest, if you will, um, uh, towards the late end of the season. But the bitter feelings and the confusion and the, uh, you know, the fright as to what will happen in 2024 is all there. And it's all just kind of simmering on the fisherman's side there. They don't quite know where things are going. They they don't want to see Fifty Cents again, but you know it's somewhat out of their hands. So, with all that as the backdrop, then we get this amazing bomb in December, when we hear that Trident Seafoods, I mean, just the you know the gold star of the Alaska seafood industry. Um, the the big guy that everybody respects and looks up to and all that. Uh, out of the blue, they announced they're going to sell off four of their plants. Um, clearly, they were in financial crunch, just like all their brethren, Peter Pan, Silver Bay, etc. cetera. Um, and they're trying to right size their balance sheet, just like everybody else. So those plants are now up for sale. Um, as far as we know, the, uh, nobody's come forward yet. Um, certainly, there's been no announcement of a deal or anything like that. So, obviously, that throws further confusion and doubt in uh, onto the sector and where things are going. We also... Are you know have reported about a potential merger of one or more processing operations owned by Peter Pan and Silver Bay, um, that too has not come to fruition yet. Don't know if it will. So it's been a very, very tough year for the Alaska uh, salmon processing sector. A year most people have never seen before since maybe uh when was the strike drew was no, it the it was 90s like early
0: in the, early 90s yeah early
1: 90s when um things got uh pretty bad and fishermen just stopped fishing now those days uh are past. Uh, it would be very hard for a strike to happen again and in fact as we monitored the chats of fishermen uh, uh in the season uh, in social media, it was clear that the majority of them thought uh, strikes were assay in the sense of having any effect on the, you know, changing prices. So um, there really is no plan on the fisherman's side for um, affecting prices. Like they've they talked briefly about you know, going to the state, getting the state involved in some sort of mediation of prices before the season. Uh, nothing's really come of that. Perhaps it will, but uh, I, I find it hard to believe it will. But um, so yeah, so that's where we stand. So twenty twenty four starts in June roughly the major part of the season anyways. and uh, we'll we'll have to see. the good news is the the run size for Bristol Bay uh, which is the key sockeye fishery, largest sockeye fishery in the world, and kind of a price setter in general for the rest of the state, as far as other species are concerned. Um, the, the quota or not the quota, but the, the catch is expected to be obviously quite a bit less than that 60 million and more in line with, you know, normal averages. So, uh, that's good. That helps the processors um you know, organize their processing better and you know, protect the catch in the sense of quality. So yeah, it was uh it was something to watch. I honestly and I'm I should give a tip of the hat to our correspondent, uh, Rachel Sapin, who uh carried the load on covering that and did just an amazing job. So
0: um
1: yeah, it's it's uh it's something to, that we'll be watching very closely.
0: Yeah, dip into our archives uh, if you get the chance just to catch up on that coverage. is fantastic. Um, yeah, and, and nothing is going to change in Alaska unless there's changes in um, uh, in demand, obviously, but probably in product forms and probably looking for new ways to find efficiencies across the value chain. Um, some interesting efforts uh we've been tracking and and we'll have more on um in the in the coming weeks um including two uh, two of the projects for for floating processors uh, up there I'm really curious how those are going to pan out and um and and I think the other the other aspect of this with with trident in particular was that other species could oftentimes offset some of the challenges with salmon um and now what White Knight will be riding into rescue salmon? Well, you know, I don't I don't see people rushing in to buy Trident's plants. I don't see people changing their uh mindset dramatically on wild salmon consumption unless something uh changes. Now the US government <laughs> has become the largest or one of the largest customers for um, uh, for Alaska products, and that's not a good sign. It's not a good sign when you need um, the government to be buying up that much of your excess inventory. So, um, so that moves us onto whitefish. Then um, another uh, chaotic year for whitefish. Now, um, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, um, uh, two years ago um was uh, the precursor to a massive shakeup. Uh, Alaska Pollock is the world's largest uh single uh, whitefish resource uh and split more or less uh down the middle a bit more on the Russian side uh than the US side now having Russia out of US markets um and out of um at least um discouraged from being in certain European markets, did have its impact. Uh, There's still a lot of efforts to crack down on reprocessing in China um, to even further reduce the amount of Russian product that gets into uh, the U.S. market in particular. That's been pretty effective. The U.S. uh, has quite a stranglehold. It already did, but even more of a stranglehold on uh, the U.S. market than it did before. Um, but it's, it's going to continue to cause shifts, especially as, uh, as the efforts in the European union, uh, to squeeze, uh, Russia, um, continue. So John, um, some recent developments just update us on, uh, some of the work that, uh, Biden's doing and that the, the U S Pollock producers are working on, um, to, to pressure him into.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, they were successful, honestly, um, because recently he, he moved uh, to expand the executive order from 2022 when Russian origin seafood was banned from the U.S. in the wake of that country's invasion of Ukraine. That was one of the trade hits we put on Russia. Um, however, There was a loophole uh, within that first executive order that did not block Russian origin whitefish in this case, let's say, um, that went to China, was reprocessed, quote unquote, double frozen and sent back to the U.S. market for sale in food service and retail. So that loophole existed. Uh, It really raised the ire of Alaska Senator Dan Sullivan and some other lawmakers from the state, in addition to Joe Biden, Joe, sorry, Joe Bundren of Trident. Um, And there was, there's been, you know, probably eight months, six months of serious pressure on the U.S. government to do something about it and uh, just uh, recently in the, within the last month uh that loophole has been has been closed um <laughs> there's still some nuance to it but uh it looks it looks like ultimately that reprocessed loophole will be closed so what we're seeing here is really a remaking of global supply chains and it, it it's it's fascinating because this Reprocessed fish is important to the U.S. Um, supply picture. A lot of the uh, processors on the East, East Coast primarily rely on this fish for making uh, you know, fish sticks and stuff for retail and for supplying food service chains. For example, Captain D's, one of the la- largest fast food seafood chains in the country, may be the largest right now i'm really not sure but it's big Uh, i want to say five six hundred units something like that um they've only used russian product for for years and years and years so a chain like that now has to figure out well do i can i get it from the u.s guys if i want it because the demand now is increasing on the U.S. guys, so there's only a limited supply there. And if I can get it, do I want to pay what they're going to charge? Can I pass that on to my consumers who are, you know, this is fast food. They're, they're expecting, you know, fish and chips for, you know, whatever, six bucks. I have no idea. But um, so now what, what happens there? And what happens with these processors who – um, you know, a lot of their business is done repro, or you know, taking this reprocessed uh, Chinese uh, fish and and using it to you know for throughput through their plants and everything like that. So you know, um, while the Alaskans seem overjoyed about it, uh, I wouldn't say the bulk of the whitefish sector in the U.S. is is very happy about it. So it's you know it's brought out this kind of um, antagonism between the two sides, and that's never good in an industry that has trouble uniting on just about any front. So <laughs> um, that's never helpful. But yeah, so it's we're in that's kind of the situation where we are right now, and the, the current policies and the the A season, as it's called in uh, the US and Russia, is uh, starting here in just a matter of days or so. So um, we'll start to know a little bit more um, about things as that product begins to move through the market. I, I did talk to a couple people because I was wondering well, what about Lent? You know, Lent is obviously a major time for selling seafood. Um, And, uh, fast food chains in particular always bring on a limited time offer, uh, in the seafood category. It's generally going to be shrimp or it's going to be a whitefish sandwich, uh, filet of fish type sandwich. Um, but I was told most of those purchases are made, uh, November, December. Um, so they probably won't be impacted at least this year by, by what's going on. But, Um, we'll see, it'll be interesting to see what I'm looking for is to see uh, if there's a more of an uptick in these limited time offers for Lent that are are shrimp based or whitefish based, as as, um, they tend to be. So,
0: well, we'll see. Yeah, interesting on on the the whitefish, and let's look at the the raw materials even a little more specifically on whitefish. Now, I mentioned that stat earlier about fish fingers in the UK um, actually climbing in uh, volume uh, sales. Well, the value uh, per unit of those products actually declined pretty sharply. And why is that? Well, if you dig in the statistics, um, Nielsen isn't able to to really, uh, cut it up, um, down into, um, the fine categories yet, but typically sea fish and Nielsen will do that soon to, to actually tell us what species, but the category other is what grew dramatically. Now we know that nomad, which is the owner of bird's eye, igloo, findus, uh, et cetera, They made a big commitment to farmed whitefish um, in the wake of Russia, because the the pivot away from Russia, you have to do it. There's too much pressure. Russia, uh, for Western companies anyway, um, it's a bad look to defend your, uh, your supply chain if you're using Russian fish. And I think it's become, there's just more and more pressure. So that'll be another interesting shift to watch as to what extent this sort of revives certain whitefish fortunes like Pangasius. Uh, which has been um, uh, used a lot more in the UK um, than it was before. Um, so an, another interesting potential shift that we might see more of in the coming year, and especially as uh, if we do see pr- uh, price inflation with um, U.S. origin Alaska pollock or with cod, um, we may see more of that uh, more of that shift. Um, Let's move uh, just along those same lines to uh, the forced labor fallout, uh, an investigation uh, by Ian Urbina and the uh, Outlaw Ocean Project uh, uncovered uh, Uyghur forced labor in several Chinese seafood processing uh, factories. Um, Those have been linked to major U.S. and European countries. Uh, companies rather and it's it's still ongoing companies are they've been scrambling to cut ties scrambling to find alternatives um how how is that fallout going to continue john already we reported earlier this week cisco still doing uh digging through its supply chain um how long does this go on in 2020
1: uh that's that's tough to say i mean um Certainly, like you you mentioned with buying Russian fish, this is a horrible optic for any seafood company to be connected, tied to in any way, um, you know, forced labor, as we know. Um, I I don't think we've seen the end of it. I feel we're on the backside of it as far as its impact uh, in a big way. I think, you know, once this story broke, uh, most seafood companies that were dealing with any of these companies uh, made moves, um, you know, to either cut ties or clarify the supply chain or something to that effect. I think one area where we might see the movement is just these, um, this, mm, uh, it's just an odd area of third-party certifications that companies use to certify that uh, the, the, some of their product coming out of China isn't produced with forced labor or uh, human rights abuses or anything like that. Um, but these audits, uh, I think this story shined a light on how um, flimsy, I, I would say, uh, a lot of these audits are um so if you're looking to tackle this problem going forward strategically i uh, i would think something has to be done with the auditing process that's uh makes it transparent first of all and much more robust than what it appears we have right now because even some of the big companies were using third party audits but they uh, they either were ineffective or um, somehow ignored or whatever the case may be. I don't know, but um, they didn't work. Uh, I guess is the short story. So um, I think that's an area where the story heads next, if in in my opinion
0: yeah I think it's uh, I think it's it's uh, highlighted what maybe a, a lot of people were concerned about and looked the other way on, which is what is happening with your supply chain, particularly uh, in china it's It's one more example of how um, securing a a further stretch across your supply chain from you know from the source all the way to the final customer is going to be the way to go for, for larger companies. Uh, it's going to be uh, increasingly increasingly a must. And I think that's going to accelerate, to reshoring. It's going to accelerate consolidation um, because, you know, this is a trend that, that was really spiked, obviously, during COVID and has continued the awareness that, okay, you know, maybe having our, our seafood processed um, in – Uh, Other countries, uh, China in particular, and going through three or four hands, we don't know necessarily who they all are. Um, Maybe that's not the best way to go because it is um, it is eventually going to bite you. And it certainly did. So. Yeah. um, But uh,
1: I mean, we're talking about an overhaul of a supply chain that's been, (laughs) you know, operating smoothly let's say for a long time uh and you know as you mentioned that that doesn't happen over you you don't overhaul a global supply chain like seafood easily or overnight and um so you know you kind of got a feel for all the producers and importers and distributors who are trying to navigate supply chain disruption since covid uh kicked in in you know 2020 so it's just more of that but you know I, where, where it ends i'm not really sure
0: yeah where do you go right where do you go find uh, somebody else that uh can process your fish at the cost that you need it to uh to be at are there other countries some people have uh, looked at vietnam um there's just you know, uh, as you know, John, for the past two decades, there's been talk that India may rise up or some of these other countries, but finding a way to extricate yourself from China is no easy feat. Um, But there will be some winners and you're already seeing, I mean, uh, the collapse of many of these reprocessors, Um, you know, more and more and more. uh, uh, we, We just ran a story about this very thing that You will see um, a reduction in the reprocessors in China. Now, what I think will happen is you are going to see some people rise up to the top and maybe... Um, able to offer uh, more uh, more security for uh, people that are processing their fish there or you know maybe people do um, set up shop uh, in in the country as well although even that seems risky Um, but there's some major companies that have Japanese companies Trident Seafoods for example Um, but again I think we're seeing this this Move towards more control of the supply chain, and I think that's that's probably good for for everyone, um, and uh, and I think that's uh, going to lead to all kinds of changes um, in the coming year for sure. So, um, just uh, kind of the last topic we'll talk about today, uh, one of our favorites and always <laughs> always uh, an interesting one because of all the change and chaos and promise, and that's land based salmon. Um. You know, one of the most uh, watched sectors uh, So, in its nascent stages, so many problems. Um, Atlantic Sapphire, of course, is the market leader there, and they had a very, very, very rough year. Um, The CEO and founder, Johan Andreasen, stepped down um and it it's been a rough run for for uh the sector and with that with that company as sort of the uh the bellwether the financing really started drying up and so when we looked at the number of projects i believe it was oh roughly 80 when we we did a roundup um early last year um, many of those are sort of zombie projects where no one will quite admit that they're dead, but they have no financing, uh, and so you know what what is it beyond just a PowerPoint? Um, and so we're 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 going to see, I think, even more more shakeout in twenty twenty four more um, a lot more losers and a few winners rising to the top. Um, Salmon Evolution turned out to be sort of the darling of last year. Uh, now they've partnered with Dongwon, a Korean company that's uh the uh that is a parent of Starkist and and several other uh companies. And they've also got some partnerships with um with Cargo and um and in general um you know done a good job fundraising. Now, they've also actually produced fish. And that's kind of an important thing. Uh, to produce fish that tastes good, which is no uh again no easy feat to do for a land based salmon uh for a land based salmon project but we're we 're going to see Atlantic sapphire likely continue to struggle because it doesn 't seem like there's any uh major signs that there's going to be a a big turnaround they're they're going to try to continue what they 've promised to do, but obviously investors have Backed way, way off it, and the enthusiasm is, has has um, has really dried up. It's not going away. There's still going to be projects, but I think that I think investors woke up a little bit last year. Um, you see that turning around at all, John? Are we going to get a new spike in interest um, this year? Uh, we might.
1: We might. Uh, I think you're entirely correct. The investors had had enough last year, and I mean, just just. Uh, a quick aside just to put this in perspective and I don't want to pick on sapphire but at its height sapphire's market cap was over 1 billion dollars as of I think November um, late last year that market cap was around 94 million. I mean that is incredible you know I mean it's shocking. But that kind of sums up the first phase of what I think uh, land-based salmon farming has just completed. I think we've just completed the first phase of this where it was all that exuberance from an investor point of view. It was a lot of projects, some just on PowerPoint slides, some being developed, some being developed and then having to be halted. And so so it's just been this tremendous uh, time of growth and experimentation and mad exuberance with money flying everywhere. And boom, we're done with that. I think that period ended uh, hard and fast in 2023. Now we're going into what I think will be the more reasonable period for this uh, technology's development, which is now we see, like you pointed out, now we see who's still standing, who is doing the major critical task of this of this with this technology, which is. Uh, producing fish hey look at that right so the numbers are still small we're not talking about any gigantic production numbers but we're starting to see regular production that isn't continuously interrupted by problems with the technology or whatever it is so I would think those companies that have achieve that, even on a small scale, and continue to be very careful in how they develop. I think 2024, you're going to see some real separation there. And the the losers are going to really sink, and the winners are really going to rise. Um, I don't think this is going to look anything like we thought it was several years ago when, when it really kicked off, I think we, you know, there was a lot of thought that this would be a massive industry with lots of quick growth with these, you know, small farms right near markets and major cities and all that. I, I think this is going to be a lot smaller than people thought for a lot longer period of time, at least when, when it comes to salmon.
0: Agreed. Yeah. And that's a good point. There, there is at least awareness that there are the fish out there that, that are suitable, uh, more suitable, um, to, to, uh, to grow and get a premium in the market so but yeah let's,
1: let's let's i mean salmon are prima donnas when it comes to fish i i mean they really are if you're trying to raise them you know they're very they like things in a very narrow way and uh when when those parameters change they don't react well they you know they get ill they die whatever it may be so there's there's other species that are not that um the, you know, not that sensitive, I guess you'd say. So yeah, maybe that's where another round of growth will be coming from. But let's hope it. Let's hope it's not fueled by that crazy investor exuberance without a lot of knowledge, like the salmon was.
0: Well, you know, the industry, the actual industry that's been growing salmon all these years and is growing, has been growing smolt on land for all these years. They've been incredibly spe- uh, skeptical. The entire time I mean think about uh, Cook CEO Glenn Cook's comments on it think about movies comments on it. Um, there's been plenty of signs and plenty of information uh, warning that this this isn't going to be an easy road um, including in our coverage we've we've certainly uh, we've certainly shown that this is this is not going to be uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, an easy time to develop that industry. One thing that we did see uh, in 2023 that I think we'll uh, hear a lot more from, and it's going to, uh, I think, herald the new, the new era for for salmon is going to be offshore farming. Some of this is necessity because of warming waters uh, inshore. In particular, you're seeing this Australia, New Zealand really uh, looking carefully at this but increasingly you're seeing projects getting uh, greenlit um, by people that that actually have the money to make it fly right so this isn't speculative we're talking about major industrial projects with major uh, major backers that are that are well well healed people like Selmar, uh Shelling Aruka and Ocker Um, These are are not small companies and they don't jump into projects lightly. So um, we're going to see a lot more interest in that, especially as regulations loosen up in the United States on offshore farming um, and in Norway as well, although it's it's going to be slow and there's um, there's going to be some some foot dragging, especially around the tax issue in Norway for offshore farming. Um, I expect that we're going to see more projects announced and, uh, and more hunting for areas that, uh, that salmon can be grown offshore, not onshore. Yeah, I I agree. Well, let's wrap it up there, John. There's way too many other stories that we could hit on from 2023 and way too many other things coming down the pike for for 2024, but we've got plenty of time in our coverage on Interfish.com uh to to look at that uh remember to visit us there and subscribe to our podcast on apple or google play it's free but when you do that every time we produce a new episode it'll pop right up on your phone so you'll be able to listen to it right away thanks so much for joining us we'll talk to you next week